in the previous episode of Rogue Soldier. With the man out cold, Tom scrambled over him to the nearest open door across the hall. He rushed in and slammed the door behind him. It was a six-bed, fully occupied, windowless room. Surprised patients reacted and began getting out of their beds. Tom had to get hold of the situation fast. He remembered the C4 in his backpack. Grabbing the bag and lifting it into the air, he shouted, I've got explosives! Rogue Soldier Episode 3 Written by Robert Child Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, Bethesda, Maryland Outside Walter Reed Medical Center, Jim Andrews, a reporter for WTTQ-TV, FSN 5 prepared to feed his live report. He stood just off the edge of Northwood Road near Wisconsin with the Medical Center Tower's main entrance as the backdrop behind him. Andrews had been the only reporter to get to the site before the whole complex was locked down. The scene he surveyed was chaotic. Attendants and volunteers evacuating patients from the building into the adjacent parking lot, G, raced gurney after gurney past Andrews in an unending train of confusion and misery. Military and Montgomery County police SWAT teams established a secured perimeter in a safety zone surrounding the complex. Jim jotted further notes on a pad as his cameraman and young female production assistant readied for the live shot. Joe Avila, Jim's cameraman wearing a double muff headset, took it off and shouted to him. Jim, the producer just said FSN News and NTN are going to pick up our live feed. Jim acknowledged Joe with a thumbs up and looked back at the chaos, whispering to himself, well, they're going to get their money's worth. He heard static, then a voice, and held a hand to his IFB earpiece. The line producer, Jennifer Stiles, back at the station, was asking him if he'd learned any further details about the man holding the hostages. Jennifer, he said into his stick microphone facing the camera five feet away on a tripod. All they will give me is they believe he was part of the construction crew. They're doing a lot of renovations around here. Jennifer, on headsets in the control room, pressed. Any name? Jim shook his head at the camera. They haven't released one. Got it. FSN and NTN are piggybacking us. Make sure your tag out is generic. We're seven minutes to your hit. Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Jake arrived on base in dress uniform. He went directly to Special Operations Command Headquarters, a two-story modern T-shaped brick building in Camp Lejeune's Stone Bay area. As Hamilton entered... Security directed him up a sleek glass staircase to the red situation room. That told Jake all he needed to know about the priority level Marsoc placed on this crisis. Entering the oval red room, Hamilton saluted those present as Commander Nelson waved him to an empty chair next to him. Twelve uniformed commanders adorned with copious ribbons, including Lieutenant Colonel John Roach, lined the rectangular conference table. Aides stood to the wings near the east and west walls. Four LED screens hung behind Nelson and flickered with silent network news reports. Nelson, fit with close-cropped auburn hair, was a no-nonsense commander who had served in the First and Second Gulf Wars. He was part of Task Force Taro under Colonel Admire, which entered Kuwait during the harrowing days before the start of the ground war. Colonel Hamilton, we've got one hell of a situation here, as Nelson slid a personnel file towards him on the polished mahogany conference table. Looking down at the gray folder... Jake's worst fears were realized as he read the name on the tab. Thomas Stone. Stone, but how did we... Hospital security footage. Facial recognition center at Langley positively identified Stone. Then they notified us. Nelson replied. Do we have that footage? It's being sent over. Jake acknowledged him. 
The FBI's taken charge at the scene, but we've bought enough time to get you up there. He's holding six hostages. Jake leaned back, startled. Sir, up there? To Bethesda? Nelson replied matter-of-factly. Stone's last deployment was on your MSOT. Yes, sir. You've had success in hostage negotiations. Yes, sir. But that was with the Taliban, not with something like this. Hamilton countered. Damn it, Hamilton. Nelson's voice rose as the room stilled. The last thing we need is a police or federal negotiator way over their pay grade trying to reason with a Marine special operator. Not only will we have an unacceptable casualty count, but the victims will all be fellow military. The incident will stain the Corps and Marsoc's reputation for years to come. Nelson let that sink in, then continued. No, Colonel. That will not happen on my watch. Of course not, sir, Hamilton replied. Officers around the conference table concurred as Nelson went on. Now I had to pull a few favors to allow you to lead negotiations on this. The case remains under FBI jurisdiction, but we've got a finite window to convince our man to let the hostages go. Understood, and sir. With respect, I select my own team. Nelson nodded. Done. Jake searched for answers. This is crazy. What kind of weapons does he have? I thought that facility was tightly secured. Lieutenant Colonel Roach piped up. EDCs, explosive detection canines, detected traces of C4 on that floor and confirmed it outside the room where the hostages are being held. What does he want? Jake further probed. He hasn't communicated demands yet. I'm hoping this may be some kind of sick stunt. Maybe he had a gripe with the VA or the Corps. Who the hell knows? Nelson replied. Or the government, sir. He used to go on about deep dark conspiracy theories. I'm well aware of his delusions, Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel Roach interrupted Nelson. Hal, pointing to the television monitors behind him. All four screens lit up with a red full-screen special report graphic. FSN News, CBS, NBC, and NTN were all cutting live to Jim Andrews' reporting outside Walter Reed. Nelson grabbed a thin television remote beside the multi-line conference phone and raised the volume on one of the screens. A blonde-haired female cable news anchor in a two-box split-screen finished her toss to the local live report. We go now to local Washington, D.C. FSN affiliate WTTQ-TV and their reporter, Jim Andrews, reporting outside the scene. The television screen cut to Andrews' full image on camera in front of a steady stream of gurneys wheeling away from the medical center. As you can see behind me, it's still a somewhat chaotic scene this morning outside Walter Reed National Military Medical Center as patients are being evacuated. A few moments ago, I spoke with police officials who confirmed a man with an explosive device is holding six hostages. His location is believed to be the second floor of Building 3 on the Medical Center campus. Let's put that full-screen map up. An overhead view of an animated map cut on screen, which zoomed into a small area labeled Building 3. Now that building is right behind me to my left, adjacent to Palmer Road and the Medical Center Metro stop. Metro officials shut down that stop 30 minutes ago. A hospital spokesperson has informed me that the floor in Building 3 has a small six-bed cardiovascular recovery unit. We cannot confirm, however, that's the location where the hostages are being held. Colonel Nelson turned from the live report. Just what we need, hostages with heart conditions. Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Deep within the labyrinthine corridors of Walter Reed Medical Center, Larson, the CIA operative, clenched his jaw in simmering fury. On a secure cell phone, he listened intently as his superiors at CIA headquarters in Langley delivered a scathing reprimand for the debacle that had unfolded. The mission to destroy the medical records had been compromised, and the man responsible was Larson's contact and now turncoat. 
The weight of disappointment and anger bore heavily on Larson's shoulders as his superiors articulated their disappointment in his failure to maintain control over the situation. They spared no words in expressing their discontent, their voices dripping with venomous disdain. They were swift to inform Larson of the grave consequences that awaited should Jake Hamilton, Tom's former Marine Raider commander, fail in his role as hostage negotiator. Larson's blood ran cold as the dire orders were relayed to him without a shred of hesitation. In the cold calculations of the CIA, the hostages, all former military, were deemed expendable. Tom Stone's betrayal had crossed a line that warranted immediate and ruthless action. The words echoed in Larson's ears, chilling his soul. Snipers or any means necessary, he was to take out Tom Stone. In the face of this directive, Larson felt a surge of conflicting emotions. Anger mingled with a profound sense of duty, his loyalty to fellow military, the innocent hostages. Larson's mind raced, searching for an alternative, a way to salvage the lives at stake while still fulfilling his obligation. With a heavy sigh, Larson knew that time was of the essence. He steeled himself, resolving to act swiftly and decisively. The intricate dance of negotiations would unfold, and he would be ready to seize any opportunity that presented itself. Lives hung in the balance, and while the CIA may view the hostages as expendable, Larson held a glimmer of hope that a different path, one where lives could be saved, could be forged. <laughs>